Happy Thanksgiving, everyone, and welcome to episode 133 of the Four Ps. And I'm wearing my festive Boston Market annual holiday Thanksgiving sweater because nobody does Thanksgiving like Boston Market. The Four And on the advice of medical experts in my family, I implore you all to keep your family Thanksgiving small, remote, and virtual this week. And as hard as it may be, show your family how much you love them by not seeing them. The only good news is this might be the year that giant turkeys are spared, since they're not needed in any great quantity. Who needs a 20-pound bird when you're only having family dinner with three or four people? The three-pound birds, though, they're in trouble. Hard to believe, though, that we're in month nine as this third wave of COVID runs rampant. This is because a large minority of our country believes that masks are political, won't wear them, and your stupidity has ruined it for the rest of us. So thank you. But it's not too late to stop the scourge. To paraphrase from a meme I recently saw, socially distant Thanksgivings means no Christmases in the ICU or New Year's Eve funerals. So on that positive note, something practical, which a bit atypical for me, but it's time to rethink our collective investment strategy, your investment strategy, and reconsider the stock market altogether. If you've been paying attention this election season, or really just in the past 10, 20, 100 years, we're experiencing a staggering degree of financial inequality. And there's a backstory here that most people either don't pay attention to, can't understand, or simply don't care about. So here's the four P's take. For years now, the global economic output has stagnated. Some companies do well, but most do not. And when this happens, governments can lower interest rates to pump money into the financial sector. But at this point, there aren't many more options. It does little to stimulate real economic growth, but it funnels wealth to the top. Hence the inequality. You know, as of this year, the world's top 20 billionaires own more wealth than the bottom half of the world's population combined. But look at the stock market, some people will tell you. Truth is, the stock market is not a good measure of how the economy is doing. The U.S. national debt, which is a measure of how much we owe to other countries, is now over $26 trillion and rising at a rate of over a trillion dollars per year. We can never pay this back. The Federal Reserve, which sets our country, the U.S.'s financial policies, has driven a bloated national debt higher and higher. The main reason the Fed expands the money supply is to combat recession. During recessions, people normally hold on to their money and take fewer risks. So the Fed's main strategy for stimulating economic growth is to make borrowing money cheaper. That way it's less risky for people to take out loans and then they can spend or invest, right? But it's actually harder now to cut interest rates because they're already so low. Banks can control where the money is lent and it's usually going to the top or to big companies, not your average Joe, right, on Main Street. So, and follow me here, because this is this is the issue. When banks lend or give subsidies to major corporations, these corporations then buy back their own stock, which is on the stock market. In doing so, they reduce the number of shares on the market, and then the, the cost, the remaining shares, actually go up in value as a result. That's artificial wealth. 
my friends. Pumping wealth into the investor class and driving stock prices to an all-time high value. Basically, the stock market has been built on a big pile of debt, not growth. It wasn't always this way. In the past, financial markets were representative of reality and myriad socioeconomic political conditions at the time. But the stock market now is its no longer connected to these realities. The gap between the stock market and the economy exists because the Federal Reserve supports Wall Street no matter what. And that's resulted in a world where what's bad for the economy tends to be good for Wall Street. Now, when the Federal Reserve pushes money into the system, the market rises, right? If it tries to take money out, the market drops. That's not a market. That's a closed-loop system. Because interest rates can't drop any lower, the U.S. dollar, as a global currency standard, is at risk of inflation. It's already being inflated. Financial insiders know this, but many are trying to cash in now and load up as much as possible and as quickly as possible. So that's another reason for a false market high. Then, as, as financial markets become more overvalued, the riskier it becomes for investors. Eventually, they'll be frightened away. And as we know, when enough investors start selling, this will precipitate a market crash, and that could be unlike anything that we have ever seen in our lifetimes. Market conditions are ripe for a serious drop. Historians note that current conditions look a lot like what preceded the Great Depression a century ago, from social inequality to the growth of massive asset bubbles in the financial markets. In the 10 years before 1929, the Dow Jones rose 400%. In the past decade now, it's done exactly the same thing. A global monetary reset is coming. In the past 50 years since the U.S. dollar was decoupled from the gold standard, thank you, President Nixon, the only thing backing the dollar's value, with, uh, it's been the faith that the USA will maintain the integrity of its currency. But as we fall deeper and deeper into debt, as the Fed continues to dilute the dollar in order to pay for it, that faith is crumbling. The U.S. dollar now is in danger of losing its reserve currency status, and more nations around the world are seeking to transition away from the dollar than ever before. So what's the alternative? Well, diversification for now, right? Some stocks, but also gold and even cryptocurrency. I know that scares people, but sure, stocks have reached record highs in recent years, but they've still been massively outperformed by gold and crypto. If we assume that interest rates stay at around, I don't know, 1.5%, if you invested in the stock market today, you'd make 4x the return on your investment in about 100 years. Contrast that with gold, which is now worth 78 times what it was worth a century ago. Unlike dollars, which can and are printed without any real restriction, I've seen it being printed in Washington, D.C., gold has actually been mined in very limited supply. So depending on where you are in life, pulling back from the stock market could actually save you in the short and the midterm. And if you're under, say, age 30, it might still be worth riding it out, possibly. But be prepared for some massive, massive uncomfortable drops and pain along the way. So this week I have an incredible guest joining me here. Uh, you may remember him as uh, the lovable idiot. In the office, Kevin Malone, played by the incomparable Brian Baumgartner. And for those of you who are listening um, and haven't seen a video a version of the four piece, there's a clip of him laughing that's been in the final scene of our opening montage since like season one. And it just makes me laugh and smile every time I think of him. Brian has an incredible TV and film resume that goes back two plus decades, but I think joining the four piece is going to be his greatest accomplishment. So 
Brian, sir, thank you for joining the four Ps. It is, I'm honored to chat with you. Hello, Matt. Matt, my friend. <laughs> so I know we talked a little bit, but the four Ps, each week, I am talking about a few different topics. It's a multifaceted, multi-layered approach. Ruminations on personal, professional, political, and practical genres. Those are a lot of words. I don't know what they mean. Uh, that's fair. That's fair. Um, so then let's start with something personal because this week is Thanksgiving week. A lot of us are not going to be with our full family. But the good thing is, I think that we just don't have to worry about Aunt Rita's food allergies or Grandma criticizing the stuffing. We can now make anything we want. Steak, tacos, chili. I know you're great in the kitchen. What should we be thinking about making this Thanksgiving? Do not spill the chili, Matt, or you will never live it down. So for you, how has work been? I mean, are people acting or are we making new shows? Are there any uh, new projects coming or has COVID totally shut down most of your projects? Listen, in the words of Kevin Malone, this stinks, but we're going to get through it. So that probably means like no award shows. Are they still having those? Like the Emmys. They were virtual, right? I was not invited. So. So your, your old friend, John Krasinski, put together a great mini office reunion um, in the early days of COVID, right on his web show, Some Good News, that everybody just loved. Are there plans for any type of office reunion that you guys have been talking about post-COVID? I hope so. So now we're all working remotely away from the office. Our homes are our offices. And that's been harder. I don't know if it's harder, but it's definitely hard for junior employees. Uh, but it's probably also harder for managers. Your character in the office worked for Michael Scott. What do you think he would say now to those managers trying to manage people from home? Maybe, just maybe, if this gives you a little extra incentive. Maybe you're teaching the next idiot like me. Idiots can grow up to be something too. That's for sure. Is, is there anything really that you want to do once we can kind of come out of the quarantine, lockdown, COVID crisis? You know what I want? I just want to lie on the beach and eat hot dogs. That's all I've ever wanted. Romance novel or not, let's go down there and eat some dogs. That's what she said. So at my company, we're, the, uh, we're probably the antithesis of a paper company. We do digital marketing, right? It's, it's content, it's strategy, it's creative, it's technology. These are the people that we hire. What is a creative technologies degree? Is that a real thing? I mean, I've heard of basket weaving as a class, but never creative technologies. Well, my days usually include talking with a, a diverse group of different types of people. Actually, after I talk with you, I was asked to join a Zoom call with our global CFO to introduce some new accounting software. Did you say yes? Well, you, you don't like talking to finance teams? Talking to CFOs and controllers is very hard. That's what she said. But you can do it, all right? 
I think Kevin from the office was a salesman, right? That's not entirely what I do, but I definitely help on pitches and proposals as we're gearing them towards new prospects. What would Kevin say in a pitch meeting? Ready? Drum roll, please. That's my mouth. That's not a drum. That's what she said. Ding! Bam! That's a proposal. Nice. So on a more serious note, for, for those of us who were used to being in the office every day, commuting, but being around other people, I think this whole thing has just been tough to get used to. I'm sure most of us, I know I am, like we're feeling a little bit lonely here. This stinks. I'm so sorry uh, that you're feeling lonely. Let me tell you, me too, brother. I, I, I mean, this is just, well... It's unprecedented. I, I don't even know what to say. It's terrible, but we're going to get through it, all right? So as we wrap up, and thank you um, just for all of this, uh, any kind of office-related motivational advice for me or, or people out there just trying to like push through what could be a challenging winter ahead? Let's go. In the words of Kevin Malone, just do it. It might have been Nike, but in any case, good luck. Uh, I am so glad you were able to connect with me. I appreciate it. Thank you for making time and be well. Nice. Have a great day. Something professional. And as an unconventional professional calendar year begins to sunset, this is the time that many managers and employees begin thinking about reviews, whether it's in the next few weeks or after the new year. And while not all companies mandate this step, the process usually starts with a self-assessment. It's a time for reflection, being vocal, proactive, and expressive of your needs and your goals, as well as asking for help and direction and guidance. It's perfect timing considering that over the weekend I gleaned some key lessons and insights from Wayne Baker's new book, All You Have to Do is Ask. In many cases, whether or not you succeed depends on a somewhat less obvious skill, right? Your ability to ask for help. And yet most people struggle to request assistance. They worry that such a request will uh, make them look incompetent or might just be denied or rejected. But when we allow ourselves to ask for help, we unlock resources that may have otherwise been hidden or just unavailable to us. If we don't ask, people won't know what we need. And if people don't know what we need, they can't help us. Studies show that as much as 90% of the help provided in the workplace occurs only after assistance is requested. We routinely underestimate other people's willingness and ability to help. So the next time you feel stressed at work or, you know, look, especially now with this, this annual goal setting and reviews, don't hold back. Talk with your manager, reach out to a colleague, and experience the power of asking for help. I know this is challenging. It, it, it's always been challenging for me. But to the managers and leaders watching this, my advice, remember that a company's culture and the systems, the procedures, the practices, they're not set in stone. While current environments out there may stop us from asking for and giving help, when a workplace is psychologically safe, employees feel comfortable asking questions, admitting mistakes, and bringing up problems. And for you employees, especially junior ones, my advice, expressing our needs has multiple benefits. We become more effective at our jobs. It opens up new job opportunities. It can help us adapt better and more quickly to new circumstances. It boosts team performance and creativity. So next time you need help, don't hesitate. Reach out.
something political. In this uniquely historic presidential transition period between Trump and Biden, post-election legal battles, well, they're not exactly new and different, but what is, is that these tenuous legal challenges from the Trump campaign lawyers and some ex-lawyers now, and in some cases, administration officials, they represent the last dying gasps of a racist presidency. I still truly believe and have some faith in the justice and legal systems to hold the line now as some of these cases continue to be appealed, though that may be foolish of me. Either way, the election-related challenges and lawsuits, all of which are being tossed out of court until now and being laughed at by judges, are coming in areas where they are uh, where there are disproportionately minority voters. Detroit, Philly, Atlanta, that's where all the fraudulent votes are being challenged. Doesn't it seem strange that this is where allegations of widespread voter irregularities are coming from? No matter the institution, whether it's in the workplace or communities or large geographic voting blocks, one group of people in our country are open to and embrace diverse and representative voices, while an entire other political group and party, their strategy is to keep those voices in check. 